All right, I'm going to be reading out of the book of Acts here in just a minute. Are you ready to be taught God's Word? All right. We're going to be reading out of Acts chapter 9 here in just a moment. Acts chapter 9, verse 31. It was mentioned to me that uh, I got a computer that's uh, acting finicky this morning, and so we may just have to go back. Can you believe it? We're going to have to go back to the old way of opening up our Bibles. And uh, so you may have to look at your neighbor's Bible as we uh, go through some of these, but uh, hopefully they'll be able maybe to retrieve some of that. Acts chapter 9, we're going to be reading there in just a moment. I don't know if you've ever paid attention. I, I, I can't believe anybody has not been paying attention but it has simply amazed me. Uh, I know it's always been out there. It's always been happening. But it has amazed me, at least, that we have seen the abundance of really moral failure and spiritual apathy in the earth that we've been seeing here recently. Um, I was just embarrassed again uh, watching a, another conservative Christian politician uh, confessing to his infidelity and marital unfaithfulness, and uh, having to somehow be a part of the stain that gets sloshed on everyone who says they're a Christian, and then they don't live up to what it says that they've embraced, and they aren't walking according to what the Lord has asked of us, and uh, so that's a little bit frustrating. It was even exasperated when you consider that, that a video was posted on his website that actually had him interviewed in a discussion concerning abstinence-based education. I think he needed a few more lessons in the area of abstinence and what needed to take place in that area. So we're stained with the hypocrisies and the inconsistencies. And it's just not our politicians. We have celebrities, we have athletes, we have leaders. The list is so long and at times, to be honest with you, almost discouraging, that to go through the litany of those that have disappointed us through these recent months and years would, would just be in, incredible. Add on top of that, not just, just, not just the sexual dalliances, but if we were to talk about lying and cheating and, and murder and violence and abortion and crime, and you begin to add all the other things that societally we face, um, it, it can be absolutely overwhelming. Um, it disappointed me at some levels to realize that even in our own civil government, there is this moving away from any acknowledgement of God, even superficial acknowledgements of God uh, by canceling the National Day of Prayer. I just I just never thought I would see the day when something like that, even in our national scene, uh, would be avoided. I don't know if you've been keeping up. You know, I kind of like news. I've gotten old enough that I've turned into my dad in some ways. I watch the news a lot. You know, years ago when I was a young person, I could have cared less about the news. And now I find myself watching news and the weather channel. Can I hear an amen? I mean, how many times can you hear it's going to be sunny and 85 degrees? But you watch it and that's just what happens as you get older. 
But some of you may have heard that there was a great upheaval over whether or not a cross could remain out. I think it was in the Mojave Desert that was giving honor to World War II veterans and somebody passed by on an interstate and they got offended because their eyes, God forbid, had to fall on a cross out in the distance. And so the ACLU sued and there was a court case over this whole thing. And they decided, can you believe the court decided the cross could stay? (laughs) But then somebody came and stole the cross. It's just unbelievable. Even in our own city. We, 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 we have lawsuits whether fire stations can have nativity scenes or whether you can have a nativity scene and put Frosty up next to it and then it's cool. It's, it, it's just, it's silly. And uh, it just is repre- representative of the ways culturally we have just absolutely closed our eyes to any sense of, of moral sensibility and certainly respect for God. I posted on my Facebook, by the way, and... Uh, if you want to be a Facebook friend with me, you know, just let me know, you know, and I, I, I post little things there and, and sometimes they're pithy and even spiritual. Um, but it is a way to communicate. But I posted on my Facebook not long ago these words. Could it be the world doesn't fear God because God's people no longer fear him? Could it be? Could it be? I mean, I believe that you and I were designed to be the temperature setters, not the thermometers. We're the ones that are to set the temperature, not to reflect it. In Romans 3, I want to read this beginning with verse 10. Romans 3 verse 10 says these words. It says, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. Paul was having kind of a down day that day. I can They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good. No, not one. Their throat is an open tune. With their tongues they have practiced deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. And the way of peace they have not known. Let me tell you, you can turn cable news networks on every night of the week, and that's what it looks like right there. And here it is in verse 18 that will tell you why. There is no fear of God before their eyes. There is no fear of God before their eyes. We are living in an era that has lost the fear of God. I uh, am honored to be a part of a national network of ministers that once a month has a national phone call. I've mentioned this to you before from Pastor Larry Stockstill out of Bethany World Prayer Center that basically is beginning to network and knit together pastors all over this nation. There have been up to almost 50 pastors representing every state of the union that will get on this phone call. And Pastor Larry has begun what he calls a remnant movement, trying his best to encourage and foster those that have a good report and of good character and a good name to continue to obviously stand and, and, and as best as they can to demonstrate what it is that God asks of us as pastors to, uh, to walk uprightly, to walk cleanly, to live integrally, to maintain our character. And uh, we are tasked with reaching out to other ministers and pastors in our state to gather them up in order to 
hopefully encourage them as well. You know, the sad part is, is that most of the time we find ourselves picking up the pieces of a failed life. And there has to come a moment when, when we're not just about sweeping up failure that is a part of what we do. But there's got to be a moment when we begin to encourage those who have been eagles. All right, I guess it's one of those days. <laughs> one of those days in the house of God. All right, so we are doing our best to encourage men and encourage uh, women as well to begin to maintain their integrity and do that. And so, and so these themes are constantly uh, before my eyes. And I'll just, I'll just share with you this, that, that now that I've begun to be involved in pastors' lives and began, began and I've known this because I've known pastors, there's not a town that I can't go to in South Carolina that I probably don't know at least one minister in that town. But as you begin to get behind the veil of even pastors' lives, uh, you begin to see that there's a lot of things that are out of order. And there's a lot of things that, that are absolutely um, dysfunctional and disappointing. And uh, I, I mean, I just, I, I'm just going to tell you one. I got... I got one that came across my path that, that they had a guest coming in and they had to make sure somebody got to one of their homes to hide the vodka that was in the refrigerator because they didn't want the guest speaker to know that they were drinking. Can I share this with you? Anytime you have to hide something, it ain't right. Amen. Hey, if you're going to be a drinker, then put it up front and central. Let people see it as they come into your home. Put it up front. Come on, be proud of it. If you've got to hide it from people, then I'm telling you the Holy Ghost isn't in that. So just don't be bold about it. That's what I feel like. If you're going to sin, be bold. You say, you saying that's a sin? I'm saying if you're hiding it, it obviously is in your mind. Otherwise, you wouldn't be hiding it. That's called darkness. Amen. I felt better now that I have that off my chest. You say, I can't believe churches don't talk about this anymore. Well, we need to talk about it some more. There comes a moment when we've got to, we, we're only going to get what we preach. We're only going to begin to move when we hear it declared. Until we start getting challenged about some areas of our life, I don't think righteousness will prevail. That may rub you wrong, but I'm trying, I'm trying my best to be faithful to God to get us to a place that He can really bless us. And the issue isn't the White House, people. The issue is our house. We're worried about what Barack Obama's doing. I'm not worried about Barack. I'm worried about our households. I can pray for him. That's what the Bible tells me. Pray for those in authority. And I will. But I was recently reading Pastor Larry's link in Facebook. And it said, he just wrote down there. And I, and I know where he'd been. And I know some of the things that have been going on. And he wrote these words. He said, the fear of the Lord is the missing link. I believe that to be true. It just confirms some things that have been going on inside of me. The fear of the Lord is the missing link. If you wonder why God may not be working like you think He needs to be working, I'm going to take you to a place right now that could be one of the keys. The fear of the Lord being the missing link. And uh, I want to read to you out of the book of Acts. I was, I was scanning the Word and this just leapt out at me in Acts chapter 9. Can we agree... Before I read this passage, can we, can we agree? I, I, I'm really rhetorically asking you this because I know 
Because I know you well enough to know that you'll say, yes, I agree. But could we not agree that the model of God's blessing and, and the model of God working in His church and the activity of the Holy Spirit in the church is, is portrait before us in the book of Acts? Can we agree on that? I, I mean, if you were going to have an operating, functional New Testament church that the book of Acts, would we not agree, would be at least the starting place of what we would like to see happen within the community of believers, I believe that to be true. Now listen to this, Acts 9.31. It's the passage right after Paul gets knocked off his horse. He was Saul, he's now Paul. And the church is a little apprehensive about allowing him into their circles because he had notoriously persecuted them. He had tried his best to out them in order to kill them, understand that when they were outed, it wasn't that they were just harassed, they were killed. And he was one of the major instigators in this regard. And so we're beginning to see this uh, happening in Acts chapter 9. And then we find in verse 31, just this interesting passage that I ran across as we were studying this week. It said, Then the churches throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace... And we're edified. Now, that's a great aspiration, isn't it? To be at peace. We would want peace, would we not? Edification literally comes from the Greek word that means to build up, like an edifice. I mean, if you, if you talk about an edifice, we think of a building. And so to be edified means that they were being built up. And, and you can spring off this word. Not only were they being built up spiritually, but they were being built up numerically as well. There was both... A quality as well as quantity. They were being edified. And it says something in this next half of the verse that just got my attention. It said, And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied. Isn't that interesting? They walked in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. This early church was healthy, they were powerful, they were growing. Everything that I would think we as Christian believers in the 21st century would value. And Luke writes here in the book of Acts two things that that was attributed to. Number one is, the Spirit of God was amongst them, bringing comfort to them. In other words, there was encouragement coming to them. How many of you need a little encouragement on occasion? I know I do. I need to be encouraged. I want God to encourage me. I want to feel like you get an attaboy on occasion. You get sort of a divine slap on the back that says, attaboy, keep going. I'm with you. I won't fail you. Keep trusting me. Keep believing me. But then there's this second aspect as well. It said that they also walked in the fear of the Lord. Now, to me, what that says is, is that there's two aspects of church life. There's there's an aspect that you need encouragement and you need to know that God is with you and He's amongst us and He's helping and He won't forsake us and all the things that comfort means. But there's this second area that is vitally important as well and that is you and I must know that, that God is God and we need to walk in the fear of the Lord. Now, there's always been these two extremes in the life of the church. Let me just share with you two extremes. If you could imagine a pendulum that would swing back and forth. There are two extremes that have always existed in the life of the church. The first extreme is what I call an unhealthy emphasis and understanding 
of wrath. Of wrath. Now, <clears throat> Trace and I grew up, and most of you have heard our stories of growing up in the holiness movement and all that that entailed. And uh, praise God that all the good stuff that the holiness movement taught us seems to have remained, and a lot of the silliness that we grew up with has seemed to have faded away. But we grew up in circles that oftentimes would major in hellfire. I, I mean, there weren't many Sunday night services that didn't go by that hell didn't get mentioned. And we grew up in kind of hellfire and brimstone, and, and, and we used to call it holiness or hell messages. I mean, you either got holy or you went to hell. I mean, that's just kind of how it worked in our circles. And you always left with this feeling that God was this cosmic cop that was just waiting for the moment to just beat the fire out of you. I mean, he was waiting until there was just even the smallest of slip-ups, and he was just going to take you to the woodshed, beat the hound out of you, and, and there was a lot of emphasis on judgment and justice and wrath, and that's just how we grew up. And so we grew up sort of in a, in a, in a, in a, a dysfunctional fear, I would call it, a dysfunctional fear. Now, you may say, well, isn't that true? Certainly those things are true. These things are important, underscored, emphases within the Scripture. But unfortunately, because it swung over to this side, it paralyzed us. It produced certain legalisms and unhealthy guilt that were out of balance. I mean, you can, I mean you'd, you'd be, people be losing their salvation at lunchtime between morning and evening service. I mean... It was crazy. And so there was this dysfunctional, unhealthy guilt that would come to you. And the reason it was like that is because this pendulum had swung over to this extreme. True, yes, it was in the Bible, but this extreme that produced something that was unhealthy in us. Now, that's the first extreme. There's another extreme which seems to be more prevalent in our era and in the circles all of us are a part of, and that is there seems to be an unhealthy emphasis and understanding of grace. You see, our era now has swung the pendulum over to the other side. Now, when you get over into the other side, there's a fancy term that means little to you, and you're not going to take it home unless you want to impress your friends and neighbors. But there's, there's a term that's called antinomianism. And antinomianism basically is the theological term which means against law, against the law. It means that people have reached the place where you can just about do anything and be just fine before God. You can lie, you can cheat, you can steal, you can fornicate, you can be in adultery, you can practice just about any sin or abomination you want, and you can ostensibly believe God. It's, he's cool with that. You know, he's my bud. He's my bro. He's my buddy. He's on the journey with me. He understands me. He gets me. And, you know, he kind of understands just kind of all the stresses and strains and things. And he knows, you know, he knows my weaknesses. And it's just so cool, you know. He just, he just kind of loves me all through all of that and his mercy and his grace. And we even have a doctrine that's out there. And I'm telling you, I understand the theology of it. So don't come and try to talk theology with me or I will win. But we've got people who will preach and I know where it leads to that you're forgiven even before you do the sin. Now, listen to me. I, do I believe that, there, there, that forgiveness and atonement stretches out through all eternity? Yes. But what it's produced is, is that people begin to go out and practice their sin, thinking at the time, I'm already forgiven and I haven't even done it yet. Isn't that great? 
See, I'll just plan my evening activity and I'm already forgiven for it. So I can pretty much do anything I want to do. Now, you may say, well, in mercy and grace and these things, isn't that biblical, pastor? Yes, these things are absolutely true. But just as an unhealthy an unhealthy thing has been produced by wrath and judgment and justice. You move over here to mercy. What happens is it produces presumptions and license that has left us arrogant before God. Here we're just seized with inappropriate guilt. And over here, we don't got any guilt. And somehow or another, God is bringing us back to the place where we need to walk as the church, yes, in the comfort of the Holy Ghost, but we must also walk in the fear of the Lord. You see, there's both wrath and there is grace. Both are biblical. But one without the other leads us to some false conclusions. You see, God wants to reach you. Listen to this. This is good news. God wants to reach you in mercy and compassion. He is here to comfort us. He wants to bless us. Isn't that good news? He wants to bless us over the top, exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ask or think. The Bible even tells us that it's the goodness of God revealed that he uses and he desires to lead you to the place of repentance and his benefits. Listen, God's heart and his preference is to be so good to you and to pour out his blessings upon you that his goodness turns you from wherever it is you are that's destroying you and your dysfunctionality and move you back to his heart. That's what God wants to do. It's like a parent. With his children who wants to, to have a relationship with his children. And he gives them good things and he wants to do good things in their life. But the kid just takes the blessing and keeps on doing the rebellion. And there comes a moment that if we refuse his goodness, all we're left with then is his severity. Because listen to me, God's major purpose is to have a relationship with you. His major purpose wasn't just to get you a car, a house, and a big bank account and bless you with a lake house or a beach house. That wasn't his major purpose. Jesus didn't die for beach houses. Jesus didn't die for a new set of wheels. He died in order that you and I could be in relationship. That's the number one thing. Everything else, come on, how many of you have got a new car and after two weeks you get a door ding and something happens and it just loses its luster? Man, I've had new cars and used cars. I've had good things. I've had this. And after a while, it doesn't satisfy. Now, God blessed me with that, but that's not why he died. The only thing that satisfies me is a relationship with him. That's when I have true joy and peace and contentment and hope. See, this is our problem in America. God has been good to America. I mean, we have been blessed as a nation. Is there any other nation like the nation of the United States of America? Has there ever been another place like the United States of America? I mean, this nation has enjoyed such blessing and benefits that even the poorest person in America is still richer than 80-90% of the rest of the world. Has there been any place like America? God has done that. God has blessed us. The early covenants of our founders solicited God's blessing and we have enjoyed His blessing literally for centuries. 
But the problem in America today is that we have presumed on His goodness. We have even as a nation lost our fear of the Lord. There's no fear of God anymore. And listen to me, it it works the same for nations if we cannot see Him and serve Him in His goodness. Do you understand, if we don't look and and begin to see the blessings of our nation and the blessings of our life and understand that everybody in this room is in the top 2% of the wealthiest people in the world. I I didn't realize that if you make about $40,000 a year, somewhere in there, you're actually in the one percentile range of the wealthiest people in the world. And how many of us here would say to ourselves, I don't know if I can live off 40K a year. A lot of us would. We got to understand that if we don't begin to see the blessings of God in all of these things and begin to one more time honor him in this regard, if we won't serve God because of his goodness towards us, then as a nation, all we're left with is his severity. That's why there's earthquakes, tornadoes. Am I the only one that's just looking at things and saying to myself, this is kind of weird? That's why natural disasters come, unsolvable dilemmas. I'm not prophesying, or maybe I am prophesying. When I just say it's hurricane season, folks, I'm just saying we're not immune. Floods, recessions, terrorism, wars, famine. Do you understand? God isn't out to hit us. I'm not saying God causes these things, but all God has to do is simply lift his hand. And once he lifts his hand, we're open game for absolutely anything. And the point being is not that he's just looking to just hammer us. This isn't the heart of God. God's saying this, if you won't see me in my goodness, you will see me. But it will be in my severity. Now let's define the fear of the Lord, because if you don't understand it, how can you ever begin to foster it? Fear, this is very important, fear like guilt can be good or bad. There's good guilt and there's bad guilt. You all understand that, right? Good guilt, the Bible calls that conviction. That's good guilt. Bad guilt is condemnation. This sermon isn't about guilt, but there's good guilt and bad guilt. Because some people think that they weren't designed to live under any guilt, and that's wrong. If you do something wrong, you ought to feel guilty. So that's that's a God mechanism. Fear is the same thing. There's good fear and there's bad fear. All right. So bad fear can be oppressive. It can be it, it, it can be debilitating. But good fear can be redemptive and it can be restorative. So fear can either destroy you or it can deliver you. Now, let me just help you through the scripture here for just a little bit. Don't confuse the spirit of fear with the fear of the Lord. Don't confuse the spirit of fear with the fear of the Lord. The spirit of fear is demonic. All right? The spirit of fear, like when the Bible says that God hath not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind, that means that that there is a demonic fear that can jump on us. And what that means is, is that that's when we lose our confidence in God's word, his ways, his plan. It's when we succumb to defeat in the face of sin and challenge. It's when we begin to shrink back from doing what God is asking us to do instead of pressing forward. You know, when God asks us to stand for righteousness, 
That means if we, if we don't continue to, to press forward or we shrink back, that's an unrighteous fear. The Bible says perfect love casts out all fear. God has not given us that spirit of fear. It's timidity in the face of adversity for his name's sake. So, so timidity in that regard is to be broken. That is bad fear. Now, let me talk to you what good, good fear is. The fear of the Lord is this. You can write this down. It may be on the screen overhead. It means awe, respect, reverence, or honor. The fear of the Lord, I'll say that again. It means awe, respect, reverence, or honor. I mean, scripturally, a lot of times fear comes with the word trembling. You remember fear and trembling? Fear and trembling. You'll even find the word on occasion terror with it. So what is this fear? The best way I can describe it is when you would see a picture, let's say, of Isaiah, who when he was in the temple, God shows up. He's a God called prophet who'd been prophesying for six chapters. And all of a sudden God shows up and the scripture says, woe is me. For I am a man undone and I dwell in the midst of a people who have unclean lips and they're undone like me. And so there was this moment that this, this, this reverence or this awe or, or this deep respect and honor came over the prophet. It's the same thing Moses experienced when he was before the burning bush. And it was there that he had to kick off his sandals and he put his face into the ground. And, and it was there that God began to, to talk with him. You know, it's interesting, in the early church, uh, one of the first implementations of the fear of the Lord was in Acts chapter 5 when Ananias and Sapphira lied to the Holy Spirit. Apparently the Holy Spirit had dealt with them with regards to the selling of a piece of property and how that was to come into the life of the church. And, and they kind of lied, I guess, to Peter and, and they weren't obeying what God had told them to do. And literally, in those early moments of the church, both of them fell over dead as a doornail. And the verse right after that, I, I know people died and it ought not make you chuckle. I'm, I guess they've been dead so long now, I guess we can look at it that way. But the next verse says something to this effect. And great fear seized the church. I thought to myself, I'll bet. You start carting people out in stretchers, I imagine they'd start thinking twice about messing around with God. Now, I've had people come to me through the years because if you've hung around me, any length of time, you know, that, you know, I, I want to be blessed and I'll preach blessing and I'll preach full gospel and I'll preach prosperity. I preach these things, but you hang around me a while and you'll know also that I also talk about holiness and character and these things as well. And I've had people come to me when I mention in messages like this one, they'll say to me, well, you know, I don't, that's not the God I serve. Well, you better go back and check your Bible again and see what God you're serving. Because you may not be serving who you think you're serving. It's interesting. You want to hear what Jesus had to say about it? He would settle it for me anyway. In Matthew 10, 28, it says this. He says, this is Jesus. He says, do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. But rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Now, isn't that interesting? Jesus said... That you should fear. There's an appropriate fear to have in the life of the believer. In the book of Hebrews, there's another couple of verses here. Hebrews 10.26. Listen to this. Hebrews 10.26. It says, For if we sin willfully 
after we've received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin. Now, again, um, that's a difficult verse, and I don't have time to get into all the concepts of what it means to uh, fall into sin uh, sort of as a being ensnared or being tripped up or incidentally. There's a difference between that and practicing sin. And if I could get through this verse and talk to you about the Greek tenses and the concept of practicing sin, it would make a whole lot more sense. But just, just realizing, though, that the Hebrew writer is saying something significant here. He says, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fire indignation, which will devour our adversaries. Anyone who has rejected Moses' law dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Of how much worse punishment do you suppose will he be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing, and insulted the Spirit of grace? Do you know that you can insult the Spirit of grace? Come on, I get this in your system. You're under grace, but you can insult it. For we know him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And again, the Lord will judge his people. Verse 31, listen, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. Now, uh, folks, I get it. That, that, that may not get you a crowd in 2010. But we've got to understand that, that there are things that God does when we walk in the fear of the Lord. In 1228, it says a very similar passage here. It says, therefore, since we're receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably. So we're under grace, right? But it says with reverence and godly what? So it says we're under grace. But we serve him acceptably with reverence and godly fear. Now, what I wrote down here was this. Let me give you just a contemporary translation of all of this, what the fear of the Lord is. The fear of the Lord is being passionately concerned about never offending God in any way. I want you, I want you just to let that sink in for a minute. I know we worry and are concerned, and we should be, about not being an offense to others. That is certainly appropriate. We don't want to be offended, nor do we want to be an offense, if we can at all help it. But more than those things, we need to be sure that we are not offending God in any way. Now, you need to let that sink in you, because when you begin to filter life's issues... You begin to evaluate and you begin to think and you begin to consider things as they come your way. You've got to begin to ask yourself the question, not whether or not this is permissible or legal or will anyone find out or any. You need to ask yourself, could I, could I offend God? Because if we say we love him, then one of our top priorities should be not to offend him. Now, let, let me just share with you why that might be important. All right, great. This is going to be great. Now, you guys get your pencils out or your pens, and um, we're going to run through a couple things here. I'm going to give you just 10 things that the fear of the Lord will produce. Now, as I was doing this, I started just looking through the scriptures real quick, just trying to find some of the things the fear of the Lord produces. And, and I'm going to give you 10 this morning, and I'm going to go through this just real rapidly, so get ready to write. <clears throat> but truth of the matter is, I could have put about 25 or 30 things up. That's why I've entitled the message, The Missing Link, 
to the blessings of God. Because I believe Pastor Larry was right when he said that the missing link, perhaps in our churches today, is that we have lost the fear of God. And you're going to begin to see here through the Scripture very quickly, I'm going to touch this real quickly, how it is that that the fear of the Lord produces certain things in our life. For instance, I'm I'm going to take just a moment to read the first one and then I'll go through the other ones. Exodus 20.20. It's interesting what the Lord says here in Exodus 20.20. In fact, my wife read it on Wednesday night and I thought that was interesting because I knew it was coming up here on Sunday morning as well. Exodus 20.20, it says, And Moses said to the people, Do not fear. Now this is what he means. He says, Don't be alienated. Don't, Don't be pushed away. Don't, don't get timidity on you. That's the fear he's talking about there. But then he goes on to say, for God has come to test you and that his fear may be before you. Why? So that you won't sin. So that you won't sin. I want to I share this with you real quick. I love my wife. I, I, I love her with my whole heart. We've been married uh, coming around. Now we're coming around the block to 29 years. I knew her 13 months before I married her, so that means probably in the neighborhood of 30 years we've been hanging out together in some form or fashion of relationship. And I love her with my whole heart, and I would never want to disappoint her. I would never want to do anything to betray her trust. I would never want to do anything that would violate her sense of trust in me. And, 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 and that ought to be motivated out of love. I mean, I mean that is where it ought to rest, that, that I am righteous before her and before other women because of my love for her. That's where it ought to really reside. But can I just share this with you? A lot of times, you know how you stay straight? You just plain fear God. If that doesn't motivate you, then God says this might. Fear me. You need to fear God. Because I'm telling you, our society is not being motivated by the goodness of God. We're preaching messages Sunday after Sunday after Sunday about how good God is. And He is good. Don't misunderstand me. Oh, He is so good. But His goodness has not led us to righteousness. It's the fear of the Lord. And sometimes, you know, just that moment, I'm not, this, this is every human being, male or female, every human being will have that moment when the bird of temptation flies by. Now, that's not sin when the bird flies by. If you let the bird land and nest on your head, that's sin. You say, well, how do I keep that from happening? Well, fear God. Just let the bird fly on by. Now, I'm, I'm going I'm to keep going through this. I've got to go through this list quickly. Will you write fast? Because I'm telling you, it's the missing link for the American church. Is the fear of the Lord. We don't fear the Lord anymore. Number two, guys, praise God. Let, let everybody right now say, in Jesus' name, anoint the computer. Amen. Hebrews 5, 7. Go back one, Jerry. Sorry. Go back one more time. Number two. It prioritizes who God hears. Listen to this. Hebrews 5, 7. Hebrews 5, 7. It says, Who in the days of his flesh, when he offered up prayer and supplication with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death and was heard because of what? Can I tell you why God doesn't hear some people? Because they don't fear him. They just aren't fearing him. That's who God hears. Number three says it releases angelic protection. Listen to Psalm 34, 7. Go. The angel of the Lord encamps all around those who what? And does what? Mm. 
Isn't that amazing? If you don't fear God, don't think they're angels. Angels are smarter than us. And you know what the angels are doing with some people's lives? They're going, they don't fear God. I ain't hanging around them. They're going to get me in an accident. But that's who the angels encamp around, those who fear the Lord. Number four, it gets God's attention. Psalm 33, 18. It says, oh, fear the Lord, you you his saints. Is that 33, 18? Did I miss that? Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his mercy. The eye of the Lord is on those who fear him. So it gets God's attention. It gets God's attention. You're writing them down? Number five. I want to give you enough time to write them down. It will release provision. How many of you would like God to bless you? I would. I want God to bless my life. I really would like for him to do wonderful, mighty, good, over-the-top blessings in my life. Psalm 34, 9, post it. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. There is no want to those who what? Fear him. There's no lack, literally is what it says, to those who fear him. Number six. Quickly, it will bring deliverance. Psalm 145, 19, post it. He will fulfill the desires of those who fear him. He also will hear their cry and what? Save them. Isn't that amazing? He he delivers those who fear him. Number seven, it releases wisdom. You need wisdom in your life, wisdom in your circumstance, wisdom in your household. Proverbs 9, 10 says, fear, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of what? And the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. See, if we don't fear Him, we're cutting ourselves. Do you see this? If we don't fear Him, we're cutting ourselves off from divine resource. Number eight, it says it will extend your life. It will extend your life. Proverbs 14, 27, the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life to turn one away from the snares of death. You want to live longer? Fear God. There's longevity in that. Number nine, it says it brings peace of mind. Proverbs 15, 16. It says better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure with trouble. I mean, I'm only going through about a third of these things. And then lastly, number 10, I posted it. In Proverbs 22.4, you will find riches and honor. Proverbs 22.4, you will find riches and honor. It says, by humility and the fear of the Lord are riches and honor and life. See, this is the missing link. We're preaching prosperity. We're preaching God's blessing. We're, We're preaching a present activity of the Holy Spirit. We're preaching the move of God. I believe all of these things. And yet, you go across this nation... And, and we rarely see revival. We, we rarely see God moving in a substantial and significant way like he does in third world countries. And I'm telling you, the missing link to the blessing of God is that here in America, we don't fear God anymore. We fear the IRS more than we fear God. That's true. We fear the Justice Department more than we fear God. People in this nation are looking for keys and answers in their life and for this country. We're electing politicians who say, elect me, give give me a chance. I've got an answer. I've got this. I've got that. I'm telling you, we're not going to get anything until we get the fear of the God back, the fear of God back. Now, listen, I don't want you to misunderstand. I'm, 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 I'm going back and forth here, back and forth. There is an appropriate confidence and boldness to petition him. 
The Bible says that because of the empowering grace of God, we can come with boldness before his throne, giving him our petitions, declaring what it is we need from him. I believe that. I believe that there's an assurance and that we don't have to walk in condemnation. I believe the grace of God does come to empower us. The mercy of God is here to forgive us. Aren't you glad that God is long-suffering and patient? I'm telling you, if I'd been God, I'd have blown the whole thing up. But God is patient and long-suffering. He's kind and He's gentle. God is all of those things to us. But we've turned our confidence to arrogance and our liberties to license and our mercies to presumption and grace to repentance-less living. 2 Corinthians, guys, you had that 2 Corinthians 7, verse 1. Post it for me. It says, therefore, having these promises, aren't you? I'm a promised person. I've got so many promises in God. Good things he wants to do. He says, beloved, since you've got promises, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness or maturing to holiness in what? The fear of God. The fear of God. So how do we develop this? The fear of the Lord. If we want favor and blessing and multiplication, then we're going to have to follow a divine pattern. Some of you ladies here may to this very day still sow. We don't don't sow in our house. And I'm not talking about sowing seed. I'm talking about like sowing material. Some of you, though, are probably very good sowing machine I don't probably think any guys are. I mean, that's not to say the guys couldn't be sewers. I just know most of us didn't grow up learning how to work a sewing machine. But a lot of the ladies, or at least a few of the ladies, perhaps know how to do a sewing machine. And I remember growing up in my house. Now, we were very frugal in my household. My mom made dresses for my sister, and she made suits. She literally made suits for me. We've got pictures when I don't know, it was four, five, six years old, with suits on, actually with a matching hat tie, shirt. She made the whole thing. Man, had a little insignia right there. And, and she did. She made things. And, and we got to the age, I remember when we were teenagers and she was still making us stuff and finally we just had to beg her, please mom, don't make our clothes anymore. I mean, she's trying to make what's in. Oh, nothing's worse than homemade contemporary. I mean, I just, no mom, we just, we just let, let us buy it, please. Because she sewed. She learned how to sew. I'll never forget on more occasions than I could count, we would go to the Peace Goods store, whatever it was called back in those days. Some of you ladies will know exactly what I'm talking about because the guys never go into the Peace Goods area of a store. But they would have these big file cabinets and they would pull out these files. And in there, there would be patterns. Now, I don't know all the different manufacturers of patterns, but the one she would use was Simplicity. Butterick? Really? See, I'm learning things right now. There are other, I I just knew simplicity, which was really an interesting name because I didn't look all that simple to me. And you know, she'd pull it out and she'd be on the kitchen table and she'd be pinning this stuff and cutting it and you had to cut it just right. You know, really an amazing thing. But, but on each simplicity folder on the outside, you know, you, you basically had, sometimes it gave you choices, you know, two or three different looks, depending on what line you cut. And, and, and inside, of course, was the pattern, is what you called it. And so if you wanted what was on the outside of the simplicity folder, you had to follow the pattern that was inside of the folder. Are you following me? 
See, you can't, you just can't pull, you just can't go get a piece of, piece of material, get your scissors out and say, I'm going to make me, I'm going to make me my prom dress. I'm going to make me my tuxedo. Just stand back. I'm going to be led of the Lord in this matter. Unless you're a designer. Now, maybe designers can do that. Maybe I'm, you know, but for most of us, and I know every illustration probably breaks down at some point, but for most of us, I could not throw out this piece of material, take out my scissors and get me a tuxedo or a coat or a tie. I mean, because the pattern doesn't look quite like what the outcome does, but unless you follow the pattern, you'll never get what's on the front of it, right? Here's the problem in America. We want the blessings of God, but we don't want to follow the patterns of God. See, that's our, our problem is we just want to throw our life out there and just start doing whatever it is that seems wise in our own eyes, and we do what seems right in, in before us, and then we wonder why God doesn't bless us. Well, I would have figured He'd have blessed this. I was sincere. I mean, I was genuine. Well, you were, you were genuinely wrong. You were sincerely off target. See, we've got to begin to follow the pattern. If you want the blessing, if you want what God has for us, we have got to follow what it is he says we must do. I don't believe, listen, I don't believe God is wanting to to treat you or me in some horrible fashion. I don't believe that's his nature. I don't believe that's his desire. He's not looking for ways to club us to death. That's not the heart of God. But listen, if, 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 if I don't believe God... Uh, is going to send leprosy or something, you know. Every now and then, you know, those plants we have out front, and we appreciate uh, Angel Oak Nursery and, and, and Jimmy Kirby and Alex and Pam and, and all those that provide those. We appreciate that. And on occasion, we'll have people seal our plants. And I often have prayed. In fact, I, I, I distinctly prayed one time, and it cut it all out. I prayed one time. I said, Lord, let whoever takes these plants of yours catch leprosy. And amazingly, it stopped because there were skin conditions, I'm sure, springing up all over the Charleston area. Now, I, I say that. I say that tongue in cheek. I, do, I think, do I think that God's going to send leprosy? No. He may make their car crash or something, but I don't. I don't. No. I'm just fooling. His mercy endureth even for plant stealers. So I don't know that I believe he's going to send leprosy on me if I just if I don't just measure up in every jot and, and tittle that takes place. But let, 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 me, let me just share this with you again. I have reached a place where I understand acutely that all God has to do is lift his hand off me. Oh, people, listen to me. You don't even comprehend the protection of God that's around most of your lives. You don't comprehend the ways that you've not even seen or know that he's gone before you and he, he's caused something to happen that you missed the accident that was on down the road. You drove up on the accident and you said, isn't that terrible? Not realizing that he made the light last a little bit longer so that you weren't in that accident. Oh, we have no idea as to the ways God protects us and keeps us and, 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 and keeps us safe. And we have no idea of His goodness towards us in so many incidental ways that all God has to do is just take His hand off. He's not doing it to you. All He has to do is take His hand off and say, you don't fear me, so live life.
You see, we gotta, gotta get the fear of the Lord. You see, the fear of the Lord for me, for me, is not really so much his chastisement, because at least if he's chastising me, I know he loves me because I'm still a son. You hear me? The Bible says that if he doesn't chastise you anymore, I won't use the old King James Version. He uses the B word. But what that means is you're illegitimate. If he quits spanking you, you're illegitimate. And that's where we're at. We don't want God to spank us or chastise us. But when he does, that means I'm still a son. Praise God, I'm still a son and he loves me because he corrects me. He, he corrects those he loves. But the minute his hand is loose from me, oh my goodness. Oh my, oh, spank me again, please. Spank me again, please. You see, my, my issue with God isn't his chastisement. My issue is that he'll shelve me and just leave me alone. Because I won't walk under precept. Well, how do you develop that? Let me just share this with you. Forgive me, I know I'm a long-winded guy. And if you aren't used to long-winded people, it's just a little different. But in Deuteronomy 31, this is really going to help you. And I'll go through these last little things very, very fast. Deuteronomy 31, verse 10. Listen to this. I ran across this. You know, I've read this before, but it's like I read it again. Deuteronomy 31, verse 10. Listen to this. And Moses commanded them, saying, At the end of every seven years, at the appointed time in the year of release, at the Feast of the Tabernacles, when all Israel comes to appear before the Lord your God in the place which he chooses, you shall read this law before all Israel in their hearing. Okay? Gather the people together, men and women and little ones, and the stranger who is within your gates, that they may hear... And that they may learn to fear the Lord. Fear the Lord your God and carefully observe all the words of this law. And that their children who have not known it may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God as long as you live in the land which you crossed the Jordan to possess. Isn't that wild? God literally said to Moses, he said, he said that at least on a seven year cycle, I want you to gather up the people. I want you to gather them all up, men and women. Gather up the kids. Gather up everybody. And, and at least on a seven-year cycle, we're going to read some passages. That's what the Lord said. We're going to read some passages that, that will help them and teach them to fear the Lord. That's what God said to do. Imagine, imagine today in our very trendy, you know, don't offend, you know, make everybody happy, you know, do something to, to, to make sure they'll keep coming back. Imagine offering a class, requiring a class, fear of God 101. You can't go any farther with us unless you take fear of God 101. You see, we've been so conditioned to be tolerant, we have sanitized and we have whitewashed what God desires from us. Listen, there's nothing wrong with being up to date and being relevant and being contemporary and maybe even being a little trendy, man. I like, I like all this stuff. I like, I, at least when the computer works, I like it. I like, I like the lights. I like everything we do. But that doesn't trump the fear of God. So how do we begin to develop this healthy fear? I'm going to share some things that you see you're going to have to do because you see, I can't make you fear God. I can't yell enough to make you fear God. I can't holler and scare you and, and put my glasses down on my nose and make you fear God. Do you understand? You've got to determine whether or not you'll develop an appropriate 
fear of God. Not a debilitating, but an appropriate fear of God. And let me just say, it starts in us, and the Scripture says we've got to teach our kids. Have you taught your kids? Let me just ask. Have you spent time teaching your kids the fear of God? It helps. It's just like moms, you know how it works when you're working with your child and they're not paying attention to you and some it works. You say, wait till dad gets home. And all of a sudden, at least that's how it used to be around my house. But you understand that if, if, if even our children won't respond to our goodness, then all that's left is severity. So we're going to have to do this. Listen, we'll do what we can, but you've got to. See, it's not the White House again. It's not Congress. We can be upset at all this stuff. It's our house. It's our house. It's our house. Come on, this whole nation may, may end up being left by God, but not my house. Not my house. We may switch presidents. We may not. But it isn't going to affect my house. Congress may turn over to a new party. Well, maybe it needs to happen. Maybe not. But my house isn't changing. Are you following me? How do you do this? I'm just going to give you three quick things. And you need to consider now, how are you going to do this in your life and in the life of those that may be in your family tree? Number one, you got to begin to cultivate awe and not the ordinary. Cultivate awe. Awe, awe. It's just like, wow. It has to be cultivated. I'll never forget years ago with my children when God would move and, and you sensed his presence at church and they were very, very, very little. And I remember there would be something about the presence of God that would keep them, that would just keep them riveted. They would just stand in awe. And, and I don't know really that I taught it. I guess the presence of God taught it itself. But we were always careful after that because I guess it was quickened inside of us that we needed to know that when we worshiped and when we prayed, and when ministry took place, when people were prophesying or when there were altar times, that we need to cultivate a sense of the awe. Are you following me? See, we can't allow this just to become ordinary. Do you realize this is not an ordinary place? Now, I realize we have a lot of energy. We enjoy the way we praise. We're, we're, pretty, we're at liberty. We, we, we pretty much can be at all the liberty we want. But folks, that doesn't mean that there should not be an awe in the sense of the congregation. We can be free. We can be casual. But we can't let familiarity take away from us what we're doing. We are worshiping God. I'm glad. Let me say this very, very carefully because the last thing I want to do is to cause us to seize up and to not be in the liberty that God has given amongst us. I am so, and I mean this genuinely, I am so encouraged when I see parents and I even see the young ones, not just the young adults, but I even see the kids coming to the wells of the church to praise God. And it's all been done in order. There's been no problem so far as I have seen. But I just believe even out of this, the Lord has just been quickening me to remind us that this is your moment as a mom or a dad to help cultivate awe in your kids. They're not down here because it's, you know, they like the beat and it's easy to dance to. They're down here because this is how we worship God. This is how we come into the house of God. Come on now, we can't lift holy hands up to God and be just rank, just absolutely rank out of bounds sinners. I mean, I mean, we've got to get to the place where we respect the worship of God. And when you come into the house of God, we, meet, we need to say to our kids and, 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 and to ourselves, this is the house of God. This is no ordinary house. This is where we worship God at. Cultivate all. 
cultivated in their life. What do you do? I'm, I don't know what all you may need to do, but you need to consider how do I begin to cultivate this? Begin to teach them, speak into them, help them understand. Number two, we've got to demonstrate honor and not disrespect. We've got to demonstrate honor. How do you demonstrate honor? Ask yourself that question. How do I honor the Lord really? You heard me in the last sermon series I talked about, is this theory or is this reality? Ask yourself, because most people would say, if I asked them, do you honor the Lord? They would say, well, sure, sure, I honor the Lord. But ask, how do you honor the Lord? How do you honor him? How do you demonstrate respect? What does reverence mean? Now, it's impossible, really, as a pastor, I'll just confess this, it is impossible I, I, was, I was just visiting with Trace. I just said, you know, when you're, when you're overseeing people and you're dealing with a congregation and you've got different levels of maturity, you've got different levels of perspective, you've got all these things going on, it is so hard to try to codify or to legislate reverence or honor. It's just hard. Because what, what someone may do that might not be irreverent, you know, for another one, it's just, it's just they're trying to be rebellious. There's the spirit of the thing. And I've tried through the years to codify things, and it just becomes hard. For example, you know, we went through a season. Some of you know this. We went through a season where we just said for people, don't bring food or drink into the sanctuary. I'm just giving you an example. Well, you know, you know, truth of the matter is people pretty much do what they do, and you try to stop it. And when you try to stop it, then they're offended because they couldn't bring their, you know, their Egg McMuffin in. And, you know, and I'm sitting there going, well, what are you going to do? Like put the Egg McMuffin? You know. They want to, you know, it's not just a matter of drinking a cup of coffee. It's just like they want their picnic, you know, they're having their picnic time. And, uh, you know, I'll even come into prayer time and you'll see me. I get, I get gigged about my Carolina cup. And so I don't think it's wrong. I don't think it's wrong to have a drink. Listen, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be honest. I'm, this is where I'm at. I, 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 I don't think that's necessarily wrong or disrespectful, but I got to ask myself on occasion, what do I do to honor the Lord? What do we do to honor the Lord? I mean, this isn't one big picnic before the Lord. I mean, what do we do to honor him? And listen, nobody's going to swing over to legalism. I'm not saying don't drink coffee in the sanctuary. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying any of those things. I'm just, I'm just asking, what do you do to honor the Lord? What part of your life you, 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 just, you just willfully say, I'm going to do this because I'm honoring as unto the Lord? How do we demonstrate that? I grew up in a church that you couldn't attach the kitchen to the church because it dishonored the Lord. How dumb is that? And so everybody would get wet when they'd go over to the fellowship hall on a rainy day. That's just stupid. It's just stupid. But the point that was trying to be made is this, is that how in the world do we bring honor to this thing? And in our circles, I'm not joking, I've already heard of churches that in the back of the sanctuary, there's like this whole Starbucks cappuccino, you know, get your bun out and eat it while the pastor's preaching. And I, I, I mean, I'm okay with you, but what's honor? I'm just asking. I'm not saying it's wrong. Maybe it's right. Maybe God told him. I, you know, I don't know. I'm not picking. Don't go walk out of here and even be offended at this. I'm asking you, what does it mean to honor God? Come on, where's the fear of the Lord? Then lastly, handling things as holy and not common. Handling things as holy and not common. You know, we've got to handle things holy. We've got to handle our marriages as holy. I'm married to a woman, and that's not just a relationship, that's holy. That's holy. 
I'm just not walking away from a relationship. I'm walking away from something that's holy. God's in it. We've got to start handling what we say. Our word is holy. Our commitments to God's word. Holy things is unto the Lord. Some of you know because you grew up in denominational circles. I know there are denominations. They'll have, they, this is what they do. They have things like First Communion. And you know the reason why they do First Communion? Where I know kids get maybe six, seven years old and, and they go through something in the church and, and then, then at that moment the door is open for them to participate in communion. Do you know why churches do that? It's because when you leave it to mom and dad, they treat communion for their kids like it's snack time. Now, here at this church, we don't, we don't have any requirement on moms and dads as to how they handle their children. But here's the deal. I don't require something or we haven't codified something, but you as a mom and dad have got to look at your kids and say things like, hey, when we come to communion, this isn't snack time. This is when you're literally remembering what Christ has done for you. And if they don't get it, then maybe they ought not take it. There are kids, and, and, and we try to head this off at the past, but they want to get baptized when they're, when they're very, 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 very young because they think it's a hot tub. I get to put my swimsuit on. It's, it looks cool. I'm on the screen. Now, I, I appreciate that, and I want them to be baptized. But are you following me? How Through the years, these things got codified, and the reason they got codified is because people were losing the fear of the Lord. And the hardest thing about liberty is, is you can't legislate everything. You can't legislate it so people, that's the problem with America. We want to legislate everything because people won't do what's right. And nobody likes that. But somewhere along the way, somebody, I guess it's me, looks at you and says, what are you doing to handle things as holy and not common? Now listen, just as I have difficulty codifying it, that doesn't mean you get to codify it for everyone. You know, you aren't, you aren't the sheriff either. I mean, we've tried. We've tried to, to, to treat things. I consider the platform to be a holy place. I, I mean, I understand there's different philosophies. I've tried to cultivate a sense of reverence. So it's not just, it's not just used in common fashion. So we've got to develop an appropriate an appropriate fear of the Lord. And uh, I probably have hollered about it enough this morning, but Psalm 89, verse 7, and I'm done. Psalm 89, 7, and, and, and I'm just, truthfully, I'm done. <clears throat> says this, God is greatly to be feared in the assembly of the saints and to be held in reverence by all those around him. God is greatly to be feared in the assembly of the saints and be held in reverence by all those around him. As I was preparing this, this week and just thinking, because I'll be honest with you, the reason this was stirring in my spirit is because I was dealing, I've been dealing with pastors and I've been dealing with people and I've been watching the shepherds. And just as I would say, is it because... Just as I said on Facebook, could it be that the reason the world does not fear God is because the church doesn't fear God? Can I just say this? Could it be that the reason the church doesn't fear God is because its shepherds don't fear God? And I started listening just to the shenanigans that go on. And can I just say, I know there are thousands of good, wonderful, godly you know, I don't want to be linked with the silliness that goes on. I don't want that either. 
I don't want people judging me on the basis of what some guy on TV does. I don't want that either. So I, I don't want to lump something that, that isn't accurate or it's overgeneralizing. But, but all of this came up inside of me because I, 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 just, I wasn't looking at the people of God as much as I was looking at the shepherds. And I started thinking to myself, where is the fear of God gone? We no longer fear God. We stand here and we preach and we don't even fear God anymore. We stand here and we share and we stand here and we worship and we do all these things and we don't fear God anymore. And Lord, you're going to have to you're going to have to put a sense of your awesomeness again. You're going to have to help us get to the appropriate place of the fear of God. And my greatest concern when I was starting to write down all of my notes was that I so appreciate the enthusiasm. Listen to me, folks. I, I appreciate the energy and the enthusiasm and, and, and the demonstration of worship we have in, in our church. And, and I like it when you say amen. Can I hear amen? amen? See, I like it when there's a rumble in the congregation. I, and, I, and I believe these things are in order. And, and I, the last thing I want to do is for everyone to go, oh, my God. Am I going to do something that will cause God to hit me? No, I'm, that's not where we need to go. Where we need to go is I need to be sure that I'm living in a way that, that I can be honest before the Lord. I can be honest before the people. I can be honest in his house. I can be honest and say, I, 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 Lord, I love you. And, 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 and you have my awe and you have my respect and my reverence. And you are honored. You are honored. Can we do that? I believe we can. I believe we can. And I believe that as people come, they will not only sense the love of God and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, but they'll begin to sense the fear of the Lord. And I believe God can do some amazing things. I believe, like it says, he'll multiply us in Jesus' name. Stand with me, will you?